Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin. Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Live, Okay, well, hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sets and More. We are back, Brent Marshall and myself, Frankie Picasso, and we are going to the movies in October. So if you'd like to go to the movies, you can come along with us and find out about some really great ones that Brent has managed to find for us. And I will pass it over to him. Great. Thanks, Frankie. We got some really good ones this month, too. Uh, For starters, we have uh, two documentaries, both of which deal with popular culture figures. Uh, The first of them is playing theatrically. It's probably nearing the end of its theatrical run right now, but you may still catch it there. Uh, It's Moon Age Daydream, which is an absolutely excellent documentary about David Bowie. Let me share my screen just a second. Sorry. Okay, no problem. Uh, And one of the things I really like about this film is the fact that it looks on David Bowie as more than just another pop star. It examines his life and career as somebody who is a consummate artist in so many different ways, as a uh, painter, a writer, an actor, a filmmaker, and of course, as a musician. And it does it in a very interesting way by not presenting the material in the typical kind of laundry list chronological order that a lot of films like this do. What it does instead is it examines uh, Bowie's life and work from the standpoint of looking at it thematically. And I really like that because it gives you the motivations behind what he did, uh, exploring the whys as well as the what's. And that gives gives viewers a really interesting approach to seeing an artist's work unfold. Uh, It's um, also interesting in the standpoint that it's done almost entirely by uh, Bowie's own words through voiceovers and uh, film clips from various interviews and media appearances that he did throughout his life. So you're not getting a bunch of talking heads saying, well, I thought he did this and I thought he did that, or you're not getting a lot of, stuff that seems staged for the film itself it's all authentic material that was taken straight from the horse's mouth and that's yeah that's really and that's a really different approach to to doing a documentary which in in the true sense of what Bowie did as an innovator uh, it sort of takes the genre in a brand new direction as well something that documentaries typically have not done in the past now, one thing that some people have been critical of is the fact that it's a long film. It's like two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Um, but, you know, given the breadth of his output and productivity and how prolific he was, my question becomes, what do you cut out? You know, there, yeah. I mean, there's so much material to draw from in terms of showing what he did and so forth that you really, it's hard to figure out where you start paring it down. I mean, you conceivably could have probably gone on even a lot longer if you wanted to be even more comprehensive. But uh, I thought that this was a really interesting, mesmerizing treatment of his material 
uh, and the fact that it combines looks at everything he did from his films to his uh, his stage work to his musical performances uh, and intercuts all of that with the voiceovers where he's explaining uh, who he was, why he did what he did and so forth. Certainly an interesting character, that's for sure. It really is. You know, and one of the things I also find interesting is this film, along with other things that have been going on, like the museum exhibit that came out a couple of years ago and the tribute concert tour that's been going on, which I just saw a few weeks ago and is excellent, is it's almost really reintroducing the public to Bowie as somebody who is more than just a pop star. Yeah. And I think that's important because you, you will really beginning to see through that exactly how much of a cultural and artistic influence he was on society at large. A lot of which he wasn't necessarily given credit for while he was alive. Right. But when you see how many people who- Artists rarely are. <laughs> yeah, well, true, true. Especially authors, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but when you, when you see exactly, you know, how many people and how many different kinds of works he has influenced over the years, it's just phenomenal. Well, it's and, interesting because we grew up with Bowie and maybe yes. a little bit later grew up with Bowie. But even, you know, I, I, a song came on the radio. It wasn't a Bowie song. It was totally off topic, but it yeah. was a James Taylor song. And they go, oh, this is James Taylor's son. She goes, and my daughter like goes, who? Yeah. <laughs> How do you not know him? <laughs> well, so again, you know, you've got David Bowie. How do you not know him? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, given how many people he influenced in yeah. terms of, you know, over the years, in terms of fashion, fashion, music, music yeah, uh, art, the whole bit. And, you know, it's really just a, a tremendous uh, scope of impact that he's yeah. had. And this film really brings that out. Um, so I, re I recommend this one very highly. I think it's going to start streaming probably pretty soon. So I think it's going to stream on the 15th of November. Okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah. So right. if you didn't get a chance to catch it in theater, definitely catch it uh, on you know on streaming. Screen at home. <laughs> yeah, and I mean even you know it's an inter it's an intergenerational thing too. I think that um, mm -hmm. you don't have to be from his era to fully appreciate everything that he did. Yeah, I think uh, if you go to Apple, you'll be able to stream it from there. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, younger viewers will be able to get a lot out of it as well because they'll be able to see, oh, gee, he reminds me of so-and-so, you know. You know, kind of it's thing. so interesting when you look at people's lives anyway. Like, I, I find documentaries, like even people that you weren't that interested in, if you watch the documentary, you become way more interested in them. And it's yes. so interesting to things that you didn't know about them. You know, yes. like you only know a little bit about somebody. You don't know their whole life, right? And then you look at stuff and you go, oh, wow. Even people in the public eye, like there's so much in the private that you don't know. And and the other thing too is that there are certain aspects of Bowie's life that they touch on, that they do it in a way that really makes it probably more personal than you may have ever thought. One thing in particular I can think of in this film is um, Bowie talking about his relationship with his wife Iman. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really just the depth of love and sentimentality that was involved in that particular relationship, particularly at a time when he had almost sort of given up on the idea of becoming partnered to anybody. Yeah, um, and it's and interracial it, really, and it's, yeah, it's all, you know. And it just really comes through. Um, and it's it's um, accompanied in the background by a musical rendition of his song, Word on a Wing, which really just really makes it that much more moving. And it's so, interesting, you know, she's, she's such a high profile um, runway model 
and and here he is you know the fashion icon and they go beautifully together it's yes they're very stylish jelly (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah so this one uh i give very high marks to this one i give this one five stars excellent wow you don't give five stars often he doesn't give them often (laughs) (laughs) all right so to to follow up on that in another documentary um we have the film nothing compares which uh is the story of Sinead o'connor uh, her meteoric rise to fame and her equally meteoric fall from grace after her. Stand- yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that they're actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things that this film really does is it, it shows kind of what a raw deal she got from the public in terms of the reaction to her outspoken nature. Um, Sinead was somebody who was very unassuming about becoming a pop star and she became very big. And she really wasn't necessarily expecting that to happen, nor was she really looking for it. Uh, She just sort of went along with it. But one of the things that she did when she got to that position is she realized I have a platform here and I can use that to express my views. And I really don't care what anybody thinks what I have to say about it. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, in terms of the reaction that she got to being so outspoken, she quickly fell off the charts very, very quickly. What was, and, her, what was her big breakout song? I can't even remember it now. Oh, uh, Mandinka. That's okay. Yeah, and also Jerusalem. And of course, her biggest hit, uh, Nothing Compares to That's You. Right, which nothing is, Compares which, to You. You know, which is what the title refers to here. And I think people, just like with Britney, when she shaved her head off, that was public. They did not like yes. that. Well, and, and in this case, it, it, a lot of it was in response to the fact that her record company wanted her to become like another sort of typical uh, Madonna-esque 1980s pop stars. And she wasn't having it. That, was, that wasn't her. Yeah. Um, you know, she felt that uh, she needed to do something drastic. So that's actually what prompted her to go shave her head. She's like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I'll do this instead. And, you know, when you look again at kind of the fashion trends and so forth that have come since then, she was an innovator. I mean, she started a look that a lot of people ended up using you know, themselves mm-hmm. many years later. Yeah. But the, uh, but, you know, the, the issues that she addressed, she addressed things like women's rights, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, abortion rights, the, uh, the, the horrors of the church in terms of the things it did in terms of uh, child labor exploitation mm-hmm. in Ireland, uh, as well as the whole worldwide media uh, pedophilia crisis with it. Um, she wasn't afraid to speak out. And so she before her time? way before her time mm-hmm. way and the thing is that's one of the things why a lot of people in this film who have were commenting on her was saying that she got a raw deal because how old is she today uh she's in her early 50s oh that's not too old okay no, no and the thing is i mean the, the the film doesn't really show a lot of what she did after her fall from grace mm-hmm. but she's kept touring and she's really? kept recording yeah she's actually uh when when she had her fall she had put out three albums and she's getting ready now to release her 11th. Oh my gosh. Okay. There's a lot of music that has been out there all this time that really hasn't, hasn't gotten heard. any airplay. No, exactly. I mean, it hasn't gotten any airplay. And she even says that in the film, you know, that the fact that, you know, if you're not getting airplay in, in the public, you you're might as irrelevant. well be invisible. Yeah. You know? And so I'm curious, I didn't see the film. And so I'm kind of curious, like who decided that they wanted to do this and why? Um, it was a project that I, I, I believe um, 
there's a media organization that does films with like social consciousness themes. And they felt that it was time, you know, that she get her due, okay. given, the, given the impact that she has had, not just as an artist, but as, a, as an activist as mm. well. Yeah. And this film really brings that, you know, to the fore. When you see the things that have changed in Ireland in the mm. time since she spoke out, it's a very different country now from what it was 30 years yeah. ago. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So um, this is um, really, uh, it's a very well-made film. It's a little more conventional than the Bowie film. Um, it's also one of the disappointments about the film is that um, the title, obviously, Nothing Compares, is a reference to her song, but the song itself does not appear in the film. Oh, really? No, and that's because there was a dispute with rights being granted from the estate of Prince, who wrote the song. Oh. The estate refused to give rights to let it be used in the film. And it's not really clear entirely why that happened, but it seems like it's some rather petty reasons why they didn't allow it. And the thing that's disappointing there is, I mean, this was obviously her biggest hit by far, and it probably did more for that song for Prince than anything he ever did to promote it himself. Right. So I'm a little disappointed that they were being so petty. petty. Yeah, you know, about yeah, the that's pretty sad, especially yeah. like because it was she really did record that song. Like exactly. that's what we know her for. Yep. Like, yeah. Now there are some clips from the video of the song, but it doesn't have the music playing in the background. So and they can't even show her singing that song nope. on stage live performance somewhere. Nope. Wow. No, nope. they absolutely positively refuse to grant the rights to do it. So Which they can't I ever play that song on the air again. Uh, well, I mean, they can play it on the air, but I mean, they certainly couldn't have used it in the film. Wow. Okay. You know, interesting. But, um, but this is good. It's airing on the Showtime network and the Showtime streaming service right now. And uh, I gave it three and a half stars. Okay, cool. Yeah. What are we doing next? So moving on. Uh, next, we have a, a movie that's in many ways very groundbreaking, and that's the film Bros. And this is the first mainstream's major studio release of a gay romantic comedy. And it's funny as hell. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, it follows a rather tried and true formula that you find in many romantic comedies. So that's one thing that some people have been critical of. But one of the things it does show is that a lot of the issues that same-sex couples face aren't all that different from what straight couples face. Uh, some have very accurately uh, compared this to, uh, say, like a gay male version of the movie Annie Hall, where you end up seeing the kinds of typical relationship issues that couples go through, only in this case, you're doing it through the context of a same-sex gay male couple. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's a movie where you sort of see the boy gets boy, boy loses boy, boy gets boy back kind of, kind of theme playing out. Yeah. But it does so in ways that are just unexpectedly funny with the writing and the events that unfold during the course of the film. Uh, one of the things I liked is that you don't have to be a card carrying member of the LGBTQ community to, to get the humor. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and even though there is some sexually explicit contact, uh, content in it, I would find anybody to be really hard pressed to be offended by it because a lot of it is really funny. Yeah, um, the situations they create are just absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, the the director. I mean, why would you change what works for him? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. 
you know, the biggest, best movies always works really well. And, absolutely. and, and, and it was so funny because the, I can't remember, was the, the actor's name, um, not the, the uh, guy he was going after, the other way, the, the boyfriend. Oh, the uh, Luke, Luke McFarlane. Yeah, Luke McFarlane. I mean, how many Hallmark movies has he done as yeah. the male interest? <laughs> <laughs> And and the thing that's really funny about that is is the way they do they do a number of send ups of Hallmark movies throughout yeah. the film yeah. that are just absolutely hysterical. I mean, yeah. they are so funny. Um, I mean, I really you know I also like the fact that they included a number of um, gay and gay friendly icons yeah. in the film, like Deborah Messing yeah. from Will and Grace. Yeah. She plays a fictitious version of herself. And she's just a riot. I mean, I absolutely love the sequence. Yeah. Uh, and then Harvey Firestein's in it and Kristen Chenoweth. And then there's a number of cameo appearances from big name Hollywood stars, which was really, you know, a very pleasant surprise as well. The one thing I was disappointed with this is I was really disappointed that it didn't do better at the box office. Um, I think probably some of that may have been due to the fact that this probably would have been better timed as a summertime release or Christmas yeah then as a fall fall release because this came out the same weekend as a number of Halloween and horror films and I mean given you know the viewing habits of a lot of the average moviegoers if they're given their choice between seeing that or seeing a gay romantic comedy well the horror films are going to win out which they did school had just started to and everything was just just not a good time like people like I went to the theater around that time and nobody was there like there was this kind of nobody, unless you go late at night, right? Um, but yeah, it's, but again, you, it's streaming now. You can buy it, you can rent it yep. uh, anywhere on, uh, like from Apple or whatever. So everybody can watch it. And it's, it's still playing in some theaters too. And it's still so playing I mean, in theaters too. You have your choice of seeing it either way. But yeah. uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the writing of it. I really enjoyed it. It's the, funny writing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um and uh, I, I would give this one um, four and a half stars. All right. It's worth definitely worth it. All right. So in a very drastic change in tone, uh, the next movie we have up is a movie called Tar, which is probably one of the most unusual releases of the year thus far. Um, this uh, is a tremendous showcase for Kate Blanchett, who does an absolutely phenomenal role uh, in, the, in the lead. She plays an orchestral conductor who is very brilliant and driven, but also incredibly self-absorbed and self-centered. And it follows her, um, again, sort of like, well, sort of like Sinead O'Connor, her rise and fall from grace in many ways, um, examining uh, essentially uh, how somebody who is that really driven and fulfilling their life's ambitions, regardless of the cost, ends up suffering some tremendous comeuppance for doing so. Um, the film is, this is a really long one. This is like about two hours and 40 minutes. Wow. Yeah. And the first 45 minutes are pretty tedious. It's a rather intellectualized film when it comes to its discussion of things like um, uh, classical music and art um, but the way it's presented in the first 45 minutes, it's almost like watching, you know, a college lecture. And I was sitting there saying, what's the point of this? I mean, I'm, I'm a big classical music fan, but do yeah. I really want to feel like I'm back in my music history class? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, 
but nobody yeah. does intense like Kate Blanchett, man. Nobody does intense. She's <laughs> like phenomenal. So, I mean, you know, from the from the standpoint of the, the writing, I could obviously tell this is a very scrupulously researched film. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering again for like the first 45 minutes, like, what's the point of all this? Yeah, let's get on with it. Well, as it, as it turns out, it does figure into the story as it develops further on in the film. And I can see kind of in hindsight why it was done the way it was done. I just wish it didn't quite go on as long as it did. Yeah. or as tediously as it 20 did. minutes would have been enough <laughs> yeah i think they could have really you know up-tempoed the movie quite a bit in that regard um but once it gets going it's quite compelling and i mean her performance is just tremendous um she's a, a leading contender for winning the oscar for this performance and i can see why um but you know unless you're a really big classical music fan now, unless you've got an abundance of patience, this, this may not <laughs> a be big a big bucket of popcorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, this definitely might not be everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you can stick it out through the, the slow beginning, you will get rewarded with a, a good payoff from, you know, the performance and certainly the, the, the soundtrack for the film is tremendous. I mean, the selection of classical music used in the film is wonderful. Um, but, you know, you do have that to do to those considerations to deal with. You also have a little bit of an issue with understanding exactly what her motivations are. And some people might say, why should I care? Yeah. So that's something else to bear in mind with this as well. Mm -hmm. But um, if you if you can kind of look past those things, I think you'll find that this is a pretty good film. Um, just it could have been, I think, a little better in terms of the way it was executed. I just realized that. Sorry. I didn't realize, Brink got groomed for Christmas. Are you going to be standing this year? <laughs> there goes my side time gig. Yeah. Wow. I caught you. Oh, my goodness. It just dawned on me. Oh, look at that. Cut your so, beard. Oh, nice and done. <laughs> so this one, um, I give this one three and a half. I mean, some critics have given it much higher ratings. Um, I don't know if it's quite up to that level, but I, I would say it's definitely, you know, it's worth seeing. I, I, I'd probably say wait for it to come to streaming because, you know, maybe seeing it in the comfort of your own home where you can kind of pace yourself, mm -hmm. you know, it might be a little bit easier on the eyes, easier on the patients. Watch half one night. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you have to go and get a popcorn refill, you can, you know, yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, are you moving okay. to Olga? Yes, next we have Olga, which is a film from um, Ukraine that's now available on streaming from the Kino Lorber uh, streaming service. Um, this is a, a, an intriguing fusion of genres. Uh, it, it's set in uh, 2013, 2014, and follows um, the story of a gymnast who grew up under the parents uh, born in Ukraine and Switzerland. And she's been living in Ukraine. Her father, who is Swiss, has been sort of absent. She's um, really a budding gymnast, wants to be competing in the European Championships. Um, but it, it's not clear whether she's going to be able to get the adequate training she needs in Ukraine. So she has the opportunity to qualify to compete and train under the Swiss program, which is more advanced and more detailed. So she decides to go to Switzerland to do that. But while she's in Switzerland, 
the maiden uprising in Ukraine breaks out and she's torn between, do I stay here in Switzerland and continue my training competing or do I go home and join my family and friends who are you know, actively involved in addressing this revolt that's going on? It's particularly challenging for her given the fact that her mother is an investigative reporter who has been trying to expose a lot of the corruption in Ukraine at the time. And she's definitely put under the thumb, um, you know, for being so intrusive. Into yeah, I actually thought that this was a documentary on Olga. Yeah. The the gymnast that we all knew from the Olympics and stuff, right? Who, who I think she did defect to the U.S. But uh, yes, but it is a fictional story. It's a fictional story, but the the, the lead actress in this film was herself a Ukrainian gymnast. That okay, cool. Um, but it's interesting to see that she's made the transition to acting quite well. She's, she gives a good performance in addition to, you know, her obvious athletic skills. Um, so it's interesting that you have the fusion of a sports drama and a political thriller in the same film. Yeah, given what's happening that, today in Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, and it gives, you, it gives you some clues as to why things have evolved to where they are now in, in mm -hmm. Ukraine as a result of what went on back then. But the thing that's interesting is, um, you know, this is the the overlap between sports and politics is very widely known in the real world, but you very rarely see it depicted in film. And this film takes those two particular story threads and weaves them together really quite well. So, I mean, this is a I, this was a surprisingly compelling watch. I mean, I I was I went into it sort of, I don't know, kind of half heartedly, but. I was, you know, captivated by this as I was watching it. And it gets better the further it goes along because, you know, the tensions keep heating up and the, and the pressure put on the young gymnast. I mean, she plays a character who's, I believe, 15. You know, how do you how do you deal with circumstances like that? Yeah. You know, I mean, just the, the pressures of competing alone, if there was no, you know, backstory going on in addition to that would be difficult enough. But when you get the two of them thrown at you and you're 15 years old and you're away from home by yourself and your yeah. mother might be in danger and your friends might be in danger, what do you do? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a really, it's a very well-made film. And, you know, I've been, um, I've been kind of pushing uh, films from Ukraine a little bit, obviously, because I feel they need their, yeah. you know, their support. But also the fact that there's a lot of damn good films that have been coming out of did, Ukraine. Did you say that this was by the same um, director as High? That was a good no. film. Oh, no. That one. Okay. But I saw that somewhere. Um, that was, um, oh, that was in, in relation to the next movie we were going to talk about. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That was great. That was a good yeah. movie. Okay. So, um, so this is a, this is a good film. I, I really recommend that you get a chance to see it. Um, as I say, it's available for streaming, so it's readily accessible. Um, and I would give it three and a half stars. Cool. All right. So, and then our last film is a film from, uh, well, it's a multi, multinational production, but it's primarily set in Croatia, Murina, which translates into English as Mori Eel. Uh, this is a coming of age character study about a young woman who lives under the thumb of a very domineering father. And she's seeking to assert her independence and her sense of personal empowerment. And he keeps making it difficult for her because it's part of the patriarchal cult culture present in the smaller towns in Croatia, as well as in a lot of other Eastern European countries, like the story in Hive, which you were just talking about a minute ago. Um, this film is um, 
really quite intriguing from the standpoint of the dynamics that it gets into in relation to the family. Um, basically, the, the, the families are waiting a visit from an old friend of the father uh, who's looking to possibly purchase a piece of land that the father owns and it converted into a resort territory because it's on the seacoast of Croatia. And while he's there, this friend kind of upsets the apple cart in many respects. Uh, he sort of flirts with the daughter. He also flirts with the mother who mm -hmm. used to be one of his old romantic interests. And uh, dad's not terribly pleased about all this, but he also wants to close the business deal. So he sort of tolerates it. But whenever he finds his daughter or his wife uh, being drawn to the attention that they're receiving, uh, it does not go over well. Yet part of that, at least for the daughter, has to do with A, her asserting her independence and coming into her sense of empowerment, and B, uh, looking at the example her mother set, who settled for this love who she's married to. And she could have had that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she could have had this guy. You know, he could have been my dad and yeah, you know, yeah, could have had yeah. this much better life. And I'll be damned if I'm going to settle for that myself. So it's a combination of various intriguing factors that are playing out in this film. And the question is, you know, will she rise to the occasion or will she end up capitulating and having to, you know, put up with what she's got? So uh, this is a this is a good film. There's a, a lot of films from you know, Eastern Europe with these kinds of themes that have been coming out in recent years. Yeah. So obviously it shows that this is something that the region's women need to contend with on an, you know, a pretty routine basis. Um, and I also like the fact that one of the executive producers who got involved in this particular project was Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice to see him supporting a more independent project like that, especially one with a social consciousness theme like this one does. Um, and the result is really a very intriguing film. Um, it's available for streaming online, again, from Kino Lorber. And uh, I would give it three and a half stars. Excellent. Yeah. Good job. So, um, right. so those are our new movies for this for this month. I just wanted to also make a couple of quick mentions of, of a few things. Um, one is that uh, I recently finished streaming the um, um, Chicago. Oh, well, okay, we'll do this one first. Um, Buddha Macbeth is a film that we talked about on one of the summer editions of the show that has primarily been playing at the film festival circuit and sort of dropped off the circuit recently but it's now coming back on. It's gonna be shown as part of the Black Harvest Film Festival uh, here in Chicago. So it's something that locals who will definitely be able to get a chance to finally see if they want. Um, this tells the story of uh, Orson Welles when he staged an all black version of Macbeth in the 1930s as part of a government you know, depression era program. And one of the things I really liked about this film in particular is the fact that this was a student film project associated with the USC Film School. Uh, it was created with the involvement of 10 student directors and eight student screenwriters. Now you would think with that many people involved in you know, creating the stew that it was gonna not turn out very well, but this actually is a very well-made film. The way all the different people uh, their contributions were pieced together to create the film was spectacularly done. I mean, just absolutely very well matched. Wow, that sounds yeah. really interesting. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and the performances in it are, are terrific. And the year was 1939, did you say? I think it was uh, 36. 36. Yeah, wow. I'd have to go back and check that to be. But it was... Uh, like 80 some quite, years ago. Wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was quite a revolutionary thing at the time, you know, I yeah. mean, the whole idea of the government supporting the arts that way was a big thing to begin with, <laughs> let alone to be supporting a minority community. And let alone to be used, you know, for the minority community doing something that's so like richly entrenched in Caucasian culture. Yeah. You know, as well as it's heavily Bizarre, as it does. <laughs> but one of the things that's um that's uh, in the film at the end is they have actual footage of the original production mm -hmm. um, that they show it was part of a, a plan to help celebrate the uh, works progress administration efforts to increase funding for the arts, particularly in minority communities. Who, who, who um, was the spearhead of that? Do you know? Um, the, uh, uh, the person, uh, the, the, the organization uh, that was running this particular branch of the government program was spearheaded by John Hausman, the actor, who was oh. at that time primarily a director and producer. Um, he didn't actually didn't start acting until like the 1960s. Um, but at that time, he was very involved in helping to get funding for these different kinds of programs. And this began his association with Wells, which went on to involve uh, a connection with Citizen Kane and other projects down the road after that. At the time that Wells did this, he was 20 years old. I mean, wow. he had become very well known for his radio work, which is a big part of the reason why he was tapped you know, to be involved as a director in this particular effort. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I just looked up to see the president. It was Roosevelt, because I thought that sounds like something oh, Eleanor okay. would get yeah. behind. I could yeah. see Eleanor Roosevelt <laughs> getting behind this project. <laughs> she probably was. Yeah, her um, husband was in office at the time. And it also came under a lot of criticism from members of Congress saying, what are we doing wasting our money on this communist propaganda, particularly with these minorities who, you know, why should we be, why should we, she why do they deserve this? Big component of diversity, Eleanor. Yes. Was. Exactly. So this is a really well-made film. As I say, it is going to be playing here in Chicago. I'm hoping that this marks its return either to other film festivals and or to streaming, which is something. Streaming would be nice. Was, I'd like to see it now. You got me all interested. Yeah. I mean, this was a this was something that was um, was discussed when the film first was released last year in festival screenings that it was going to come to streaming and it hasn't done so as I'm yet. I'm surprised, especially with Scorsese behind it. Yeah, uh, well, and, and I mean, this also had a fairly generous grant support from Warner Brothers. Mm. Now, you figure that they're, a big studio is not necessarily going to invest a lot of money in something that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it does cost money to promote, but you know what? If word of mouth gets out yeah. there, if it's streaming, everybody gets to see it. So so I'm, I'm hoping that this is a, a launching pad for helping to get this into wider discussion because it's a film that really deserves it. Cool. Sounds so, really interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention quickly is that uh, I recently finished screening two film festivals, uh, the Chicago International Film Festival and the Reeling uh, LGBTQ International Film Festival. And I have blogs that have been posted on my website regarding both of these festivals where I summarized all the films that I saw. Uh, at Reeling, I saw 16 films and at Chicago, the Chicago Festival, I saw 13. So there's 29 new films waiting and available to be read about on my blog. Uh, some of these are going to go into general release at some point. Some of them you might have to look for a little bit. 
but you can certainly get lots of details about both of them from that. I heard the, the big and, star of the Toronto film festival was Whale. Did you do that? Yeah, I, that did not play as part of the Chicago Festival, but I am definitely looking forward to that because I hear, yeah. you know, really, really tremendous stuff about it. Yeah, yeah I got, they that. got me real curious. <laughs> I would too. Well, and you haven't really seen Brendan Fraser for a while. I mean, he's sort of yeah. a um, but everybody is saying that he's the odds on favorite to win the Oscar for best actor. So it um, must have been a hell of a movie. Uh, I'm also looking forward to seeing the movie Till, which is the story of Emma Till, the young black boy from Chicago who was uh, murdered in Mississippi in the 1950s for whistling at a white woman. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's that, that's been open actually for a couple of weeks and limited release. It's going into wide release starting this weekend. So um, I'm anxious to see that. And, and certainly people in uh, different parts of North America should be able to see that now. So, uh, and I'm also uh, getting ready to start streaming the St. Louis Film Festival. Uh, so I'll have a report about that next month. So yeah, there's some good stuff out of that last year, I remember. Yes, right. oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. All right. So, well, thank you for that, Brent. I oh, appreciate it. My pleasure. There's a lot coming out the next few months with award season getting in high gear. So have we'll at see it. See you guys in November. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you got some good watching. Yep. Let's have some good watching to do. Okay, Facebook. We'll see Thanks you later. Thanks, everybody. Take care. And we will stop.